Welcome back to the Therapeutic Parenting Podcast, which is coming to you from COECT, the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma. We provide proven strategies to help people living and working with child trauma, no matter if you're a parent, someone who suffered trauma in your early years, or even a supporting professional. In the second series, we're talking to experts and focusing on tackling specific problem areas like violence and aggression, we and poo problems and sexualized behavior. And as before, we're talking to experts who have first-hand knowledge of these challenges that we know you're facing. I'm Serena Gay, your host, and today I'm pleased to be joined again by Jane Mitchell, who makes regular appearances on the podcast. Jane is birth mother to three children and also an adopter. She co-wrote the Diploma in Therapeutic Parenting and has many years' experience working with adoptive and foster families. Welcome back, Jane. Thank you, Serena. Thank you for having me. Well, today we're talking about dealing with sexualised behaviour in children, and it's fair to say that most people would find that disturbing and, well, even repellent to witness. But we need to understand the roots of such activity, don't we? So let's just talk about how sexualized behavior, the kind of behavior that we should be worried about, how it presents. Absolutely. Well, first of all, of course, we have to remember that there's a normal way that children engage in knowledge and understanding about sex. And we have to kind of just remember that that curiosity about bodies and things is normal. Yeah. So, but we're talking about very simple things, aren't we? Like a, a, a toddler asking his mummy where do babies come from? Or maybe a four-year-old developing a really, really incredible interest in anything to do with boobs and bums and such like. And those kind of things we're used to, aren't we? So... When we're talking about sexualized behaviours, we're talking about behaviours which would really make you concerned that that child had either suffered a sexual abuse themselves or had been witness to activities that they should not have been, in other words, adult sexual activities, or had been exposed in some other way to sexual language sexual activity through films or through pictures or by any other means. And the sorry truth is that some children are trafficked and sold as prostitutes. So they will have explicit knowledge that is inappropriate for their age and stage of development. So what we're looking for, I suppose, is behaviours that are out of the ordinary. So, for instance, all children will tend to self-soothe at times, and, and it can often be a form of masturbation. But if masturbation becomes extreme, or if it is public, then that is a problem. Obviously, it clearly is a problem. You might find your small child acting out sexual activities with their toys, showing knowledge that they should not have. Or they might try to act out sexual activities with their playmates. They might try to actually engage in sexual activities. They might show very sexualized behaviours such as you want to give them a, a kiss goodnight and they start trying to kiss in an adult way. 
or sit on your lap in a very suggestive way, move themselves in a very suggestive way. It's, I mean, the range is huge and it's very, very complicated because of the age the child was when they were subjected to whatever it was that has caused them to show these behaviours and by their current levels of understanding now. The problem that we have is that when the child is doing is, is showing us these behaviours, they are showing us what has happened to them. So yeah, it, it's it's really hard to see it, really hard to observe that, and, and people feel very repulsed. Yeah. But how much more repulsive is it to think that the only way that child can acquire that knowledge is by being exposed to really inappropriate materials or being forced to engage in really inappropriate activities that will have harmful effects on them way into the future. So even though they have been exposed or may well have been exposed to inappropriate activities, that doesn't mean, does it, that they understand the full meaning of it? Well, no, of course it doesn't. And They'll have knowledge, but not the underlying understanding. And how are they supposed to have? Because they've been, you know, they've had their innocence taken from them. So what Sarah Dillon will sometimes, well, what she will often talk about, in fact, is that when we're talking about children from trauma, we're talking about three different levels of development. We talk about their chronological development, which is their literally their age and what we expect, you know, their physical development tends to be congruent with their age, for example. We have their experiential development, which is possibly much older because of the things that they've been subject to. So their experiential development as a 10-year-old might be 25 if they've been subjected to specific sexual experiences. At the same time, they've got their developmental age, which might be very much younger as a result of, of not having had the kind of experiences that they needed when they were tiny. So they've still got lots of unmet needs. Typically, that shows up socially and emotionally. And so it's not uncommon to find a child who is age 10 with the emotional capacity of a toddler and the knowledge of a 25-year-old in other respects. That's a complicated cocktail to have to cope with, isn't it? it and, and it is so complicated. And the poor parents that are trying to get come to terms with the knowledge that these behaviours mean that their child has had these experiences, that's really, really hard. And it's really, really hard for the children because... That was, you know, probably whatever they're trying to do to, to gain your attention now is how they were told that they would be rewarded when they were little. When this behaviour then presents itself, how do you advise parents to cope? 
It's really important to be really matter of fact. I would say, if you think that this is not something that you could ever cope with and you're looking to adopt a child, please be very clear about that at the outset. I mean, it, it, it won't protect you 100% because we don't always have full disclosure because we don't always know about what's completely happened to a child. But if you feel this is something that you just can't deal with, then make that very clear at the point of, of you know, when you're matching with children because otherwise it's just like waiting to trip you up later and that's not, not good for you. What we have to do is we have to really be very, very matter-of-fact and try to sort of contain that revulsion and, and put it somewhere appropriate, like in a conversation with somebody that you trust later where you can really show your fury and outrage that these things could have happened to your child and just say, oh, no, thank you, that's, that's, uh, that's something that only grown-ups do. Or maybe the child's masturbating in public and you might say, we don't do that in public spaces, love. Would you just go to your bedroom? That's the appropriate place if you want to do that. You might just simply remove the child from your lap and pop them down and say, that's not something that children and adults do together, sweetheart. If you know that they've had that kind of a background, you might say something like, Darling, I know that, that you were encouraged to do this kind of thing before, but that's not something that children and adults do together. And I'm going to help you to remember how to be in a family now and how to behave in a way that we should behave in a family, thinking about each other and respecting each other. So we're going to just really do our best to not to ignore it, but not to make a big thing out of it, and above all, not to blame the child. If you have not encountered the behaviour before, and it's a new behaviour for you, it's something that's that's just beginning to occur, and, and this could happen for a number of reasons. For example, the child could be triggered into a memory by something that they see or hear, or... It could be that they finally feel safe enough with you to show you what happened to them. It could be either of those things and probably many more besides. But if it's the first time that the behaviour has occurred, you should, of course, inform the local authority. If you're a foster parent, you should inform your supervising social worker. You should raise your concerns with post-adoption if you're an adopter so that you can get support from those people too and to protect yourself. Yeah, I was going to say you would need to be able to show, wouldn't you, that this behaviour had come about as a result of previous experiences. That would be really important, in fact. It is really important because, we, you know, we, we, we have to be mindful that we need to protect ourselves as well as our children in order to protect the whole family. So we have to appropriately make sure that the right people know. Yeah. So if the behaviour has happened and, and it's over, what are the next steps that, that a parent could take? Uh, I mean, apart from going to the authorities and letting them know, what could be done within the, the family 
setting to... To keep everybody safe. Yeah. So, first of all, although although clearly abuse doesn't always happen in bedrooms, clearly not, but first of all, ensure that private spaces remain private spaces. So it's good to have kind of rules about not entering each other's rooms without knocking first. And it's good to enforce those because, you know, sometimes foster children, for example, I know of cases where the foster child has been really, really interested in the adolescent girl that was first daughter in the family and would try and find any way to get into her room to catch her without her clothes on, obviously. So then a very, very strict knock first before you enter rule was enforced in that house, which which has been very successful, actually, and has had to be reinforced a couple of times, but that's okay. If you need to, again, you can, of course, make sure that, that everybody's got actually a lock on their door if you need to, to keep children safe. The other things that you can do are to help the children by finding out about what therapeutic intervention might be available. But don't forget, you can get a lot of information from places like the NHS, from places like Bernardo's and from places like NSPCC. There's a lot out there for you to engage with to enable you to find tools that will help you to educate your child and help you as an adult to recognise what's ordinary, what's what's within the normal range of sexual behaviours and what's way outside the normal range. I mean, sometimes it's obvious, but maybe sometimes it won't be so obvious. So you can go to any of those places to find out. Also, there are websites like Think You Know, which help older children to understand more about sexualized behaviours and being groomed online, which of course is a huge issue these days. Yeah. So if you've already been subjected to this form of abuse once, you will be vulnerable to it again. So it's really important to help children to understand issues about relationships, issues about consent, issues about keeping safe, all of those things. And a lot of those places are the best, the best places to go. So that's the NSPCC, Bernardo's, the NHS, and the website Think You Know. Great. The other thing that I cannot emphasise enough, and this is a hard one, Serena, really, because we don't always want to have really frank and open um, conversations with our children about such tricky subjects. But I would really say to parents, please have open conversations in your home. If your child is coming home asking you questions that are sexually related or or maybe children are using sexualised language in the playground or whatever, please have an open conversation with them because... If you don't tell them what they're asking, they will get that information elsewhere. And it won't be how you would present it. It won't have the context of your values and your beliefs around it. And it won't necessarily 
be true. <laughs> we can't protect our children by going, la, 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 no, nothing like that happens. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's, that's just, that's not protecting anybody. It, in fact, it's setting up a situation that could explode at any moment. So get help with it by all means, but please have open conversations that allow your children to explore difficult subjects with you. Can you ever hope that the innocence of your child could be restored or that they may be, they may be able to return to a place before this abuse happened where they can truly be children again without this knowledge kind of infecting them? I suppose that is a difficult question, Serena, because you can't undo what has been done and if we ignore what has been done or if we say, well, the child won't remember, then, then we're making a big mistake because they may not have an actual memory, but they will have an intrinsic memory that's held in their body. So I'm afraid that their innocence has been robbed. That does not mean that we can't help them to meet all of their unmet needs, to reconnect in the ways that they should have been able to connect as a as a baby, as a small child as well, and to enjoy some of those simple things and to participate in a usual, happy, probably sometimes argumentative family life with each other. I believe that Sarah Dillon might have done a podcast about cornerstones all meeting unmet needs and that would be the ideal place to, to, to kind of follow this up with to go and see how can I meet those unmet needs how can I recreate some of those innocent days for my child that's the best place to go well, Jane, thank you. I mean, this is a very dark subject, but I think you've shed some light on it and given people really useful strategies as to how to cope. There'll be links provided as ever to what we've discussed in the show notes. And also you can find them on the COECT website podcast page. So thank you, Jane. And it's goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Thank you, Serena. To find out more and to access help, please visit our website, coect.co.uk. And if you'd like to receive this podcast every week, just press the follow button. You'll find it where you found this podcast. And we'd love you to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help other people find us and all our helpful advice. Bye for now. Bye for now.